David Pollock. This is your preferred name. And you're listening to... And you're listening to Beats, Rye, and Types. Beats, Rye, and Types with the amazing AQ and the incomparable MRB. Welcome to Beats, Rye, and Types with AQ and MRB. You were just listening to a great track from the world of Africa, and it's a track by William Onbayar, and it's a awesome, awesome song, and when MRB and I used to work together, there was a period there where we got really heavy, heavy, deep into the sounds of the funky Africa, Some something about uh, William Ombayar and his crazy um, Moog-focused and synth-focused stuff specifically captured our attention for a very long time, I would say. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good period. We definitely learned a lot about high life and Afrobeat and other uh, mostly West African music, and that uh, Onyebora stuff is really, it's infectious. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. <laughs> Today we're going to talk a little bit about tools. There's a lot of talk in both the tech and food world about tools. We just wanted to capture a little bit about the current thinking and the current um, love and obsession and anti-obsession around tools. So MRB, what's what's your favorite tool in the tech world as of late? Yeah, I think this is a uh... A good a good subject matter to tackle because a lot of people who want to get into food or want to get into computers and programming spend a lot of energy and focus on how they do the thing instead of necessarily or the, the you know the setup and the means by which they start doing it instead of in some cases jumping right into it and that may be um, because it's more interesting or easier to do that or it may be because the things that they're doing you know don't have easy ways to get into them uh, that are perceivable from the outside so you know I, I like to keep things really simple on my computer in terms of tools I don't use that many and I like to keep the configurations as stock as possible so that you know if I sit down at another computer I don't have to like freak out or you know start a docker container in order to like start doing my stuff or whatever but I really like a tool called wizard uh, these days because I've been doing a lot of stats stuff and working on the revenue side of a business and trying to understand the numbers and how they're changing and uh, making product based decisions on you know data um, which I know that is something you've been doing for a while and uh, Wizard is a program that uh, is made by a guy named Evan Miller, and it's a OSX application that sort of tries to provide some, you know, drag and drop, easy to explore visualizations of data when you drop them in. So instead of having to like do a bunch of programming in R or being really fancy in Excel, this would be like a replacement for people that work with data. That's something I've been using a lot lately. That's cool. In how do you input data to it? Is it just spreadsheets or it takes CSVs? Uh, there's there's other ways to do it. You can download it and check out a trial, and there's a tutorial. But basically, you just drop in, you know, tabulated data is the probably most often used input into it, and it lets you, you know, it breaks down 
various uh, statistical properties of the data that you drop into it and you can make pivots and do all this other really cool stuff and when you're making a decision about something when you're working on a product it's really easy to go on intuition and being able to back it with statistics is a really interesting approach it doesn't have all the answers in it right like it's hard to do properly uh, and you can convince yourself that something is the way to you know the way you want it to be just because you see the shape of a graph in a certain way but um, if you really try hard hard to uh, focus on the, you know, be as objective as possible in your experimentation, you can produce some very interesting results. And Wizard's cool for that. That brings up to that interesting point that you almost started off with, too, of, you know, even in the times that I've been doing kind of metrics-focused work, you know, it's really, really easy to use the tool to convince yourself that this is, that you're going the right way, whether you are or not, like, or, or just abuse the metrics to lead yourself without relying on any intuition or any, you know, gut, which can also be very dangerous too. Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot, a lot of ink has been spilled about the proper way to do that stuff. So I'll, I'll put some, I'll put some references in the show notes to some interesting research about that. Great. What about you? What's when you sit down to your computer to make magic? What, what, what tool, what tools have you, what tools have you been relying on? What, what, what do you want to bring up? I, uh, I've been programming a lot in Go over the past two years. You know, a lot of people shout out Go and and shout out the, the language itself and the compilation and the speed of the processes. And I think, you know, Go is a programming language. It has its ups and its downs. But one of the things that makes it, that makes it really enjoyable to work with is just the tooling around the language itself, where it's just very simple, very straightforward, but it has basically everything you need built into it, but not more than that. And that's kind of the go philosophy of only what you need, but not a lot. It comes packaged as the, as the go uh, binary and there's, you know, sub commands and all of that. And there's a lot of stuff in there. I have, I feel like one of the things I like about it is that balance of how constrained it is and not everything. I feel like if it, if it existed in another language like JavaScript or Ruby or any other dynamic language, that Go tool would eventually, through pull requests in the community and everything, would encompass every single thing you could possibly ever want to do from like compiling a program to calling your mom. And <laughs> the Go tool just doesn't it, – it's very constrained in that way. It does what it does and it does it well and it stays out of your way otherwise and I, I really – I really like that uh, approach to it, and it kind of, I think, is underlined by the whole philosophy of the of the programming language, which I which I appreciate too. Yeah, I know that uh, tooling is very important to to that team and conversations that I've had with people involved. And I know, you know, Andrew, who works on the Google on the Go team, uh, yep. Go Core team, it, the tooling around the language is very important to him, and and they all take that very seriously. And it's been really cool to see that uh, develop. The Go generate stuff is really really wackied. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't really used it yet, but it, it is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's it is really interesting because they uh, I've used Go too, and I think it's a, a you know a very pleasant language to use uh, in in production for the kinds of things that it's really good for. Um, and when you want to reach for it, it's usually just the right thing. But they definitely have it. You know, they take 
an idiosyncratic approach to, to certain things, like I think you were intimating, you know, with regard to them keeping the curation of, of the tools tight. That can sometimes seem opaque from the outside, but in the end, it really does seem to serve the community and people really do like using the tool. And uh, it's been really interesting to see it grow and mad props to uh, the Go team for, you know, taking something out like that and making it public and getting a lot of people involved. It's pretty cool. I think that that's an, one of the most captivating parts of it is that it is, it's, it's good for what it's good for. And what I really like about the Go team stance on that, they're very adamant about that too. I mean, of course they would, they would love, you know, huge adoption, I'm sure. But at the same time, they're really not trying to push people towards it in situations where it's actually not helpful. Whereas other frameworks and other language, I think, you know, definitely want to be everything for everyone. And that's not, that's not what Go is. Yeah. And, and it's growing and changing over time. So that's cool. For sure. So what are some of your favorite tools on the on the cooking side? I think that, uh, you know, we could probably both wax poetic for a very long time about the uh, importance of a proper kitchen scale. Oh, for sure. But I think I want to shout out uh, one thing that I use all the time now, which is an old school box grater. I love the old school box grater. With the four, four different sides of yeah, four different grating Yeah, two or leaks. four. They make fancy ones now where like one side's like a microplane thing or something like that. But, you know, a sturdy, put it on the counter, you know, you need to like make, you know, make shred a bunch of cheese for mac and cheese or something for your kids or you want to shred some potatoes for latkes or whatever it is. It's a, <laughs> it's an awesome tool and it's like one of those things that I associate with cooking because, you know, my mom used one and my grandma used one and uh, it's just a sturdy, well-designed uh, piece of equipment that I don't think I would ever want to have a kitchen that didn't have one in it. I mean, I definitely actually very recently, as in yesterday, stuck my hand in a drawer and I scraped my hand all up on a, on a box grater. <laughs> as we are pizza bros and do a lot of pizza stuff, the box grater is a crucial element to, to pizza making. Yeah, I mean, I don't want... I think, you know, people can overuse the microplane. Like, you need to step back from that sometimes and be like, okay, I want some, like, sh big shredded pieces of... Uh, pecorino on my pizza i don't want everything to be all fluffy <laughs> you gotta watch you know you gotta watch the texture on that that's a that's for an sure. important for component sure. you know when i'm like taking a hard cheese to the box grater and choosing which side i want to grate it on that i'm trying to think about like you know is it just there to melt on the food or do i want it to be some textural component or you know how do i want it to interact with whatever i'm grating it on that's how that decision should be made yeah, so that's me. What about you? What's a what's a kitchen tool that you want to chat about? Yeah, I want to shout out the range that I bought for my new house. I often, you know, want to want to say that tools are not the most important thing and it's all about how you use the, what you have in front of you. But I spent uh, a small fortune on getting my dream kitchen and getting the the dream range for my dream kitchen, including a like a hood that is literally as loud as a freaking uh, F-16 flying overhead. You know what? It was worth every penny. It's, it's awesome. It is a Blue Star range, and 
it has these two burners that go up to 2,400 BTU or 24,000 BTU. Um, so it's basically can do wok cooking and everything like that. I didn't realize like what high heat could do and what a consistent oven can do in previous Brooklyn apartments where I had, you know, uh, kind of mediocre or middle of the range kind of, um, ranges, uh, or ovens, you know, we would put cookies in it and the bottoms would be completely burnt or whatever it was. It was just completely inconsistent. I didn't realize how good a good oven that was like a more professional level could be. And it's super fun. And I've been like doing all burners at once and, and going crazy with it and both ovens going at the same time. And this weekend I made a really nice short rib dish and had that uh, burner cranked on a cast iron range and got or a cast iron skillet and got that skillet to like 750 degrees and had the hood blasting. And, um, I think my neighbors could even hear the hood. It was that freaking <laughs> loud, but it, it's just super, super fun to cook at. And that's one of the, it's one of those examples where like I could definitely do without such a nice situation, but at the same time I'm having so much fun with this. Yeah, I mean, if anyone, you know, if you ever have the opportunity to cook on a really fancy range somewhere, I, I recommend it. It's definitely, it's definitely different. I mean, you know, I, I think like uh, hearkening back to the the first experiences show that we were talking about things too. It's like, yep. in in reality, it's not going to make, you know, your food that you cook for your loved ones and friends like taste better just by being there, right? Nope. In other words, like whatever no, you have is is always going to be like, you know perfect for the situation that you're in but the ability to level up <clears throat> the oven is really interesting and then it, you know it's like one of those things that you just don't realize right like you were saying you just don't even know that that there's something better yeah yeah or that or you know more it's, consistent. it's yeah it's really challenging to pull certain things off if you don't have a consistent flame or you know your kitchen isn't configured right or whatever it is so it's it's uh in terms of tools it is one of those fundamental things so that's that's cool cool so what what some tools that you're not so into right now or or you're annoyed with or just think are overrated in the uh in the tech world if i felt like being inflammatory about things which i sometimes do <laughs> You know, I think kind of the road we went down when we were talking earlier in the show is an interesting one. It's like, you know, how much configuration is too much is the kind of thing that I always, I, I bristle at um, the endless kind of refinements that people make to their setups. And I, I'm fully capable of admitting I, I've never put that much effort into it, right? So to judge why people are doing it is probably silly, but like I've never experienced a tuned setup that made me feel so productive. Right, like the snark, the snarky line on it is that you know typing isn't my isn't the bottleneck when I'm like programming, <laughs> right? I don't appreciate it. I sometimes wonder uh, why people spend so much uh, time doing that kind of stuff. But I have seen fantastically productive people whose configurations are super set up, and I respect people who who feel the opposite. I think it's kind of just comes down to an aesthetic difference at a certain point. I think when I was working kind of as a freelancer in this uh, organization that I was working with, you know, I spent a lot of time configuring. It was also, I was younger. I spent a lot of time configuring my setup to, you know, have every little shortcut and make these like bash scripts that would instantly pop up a new project and get all my tabs in my terminal straight and stuff like that. And then as I got busier 
you'd think that that would become more important, but actually it got less important. I just spent less time focusing on that. And now I think I'm kind of somewhere around where you are. Maybe a little, maybe I spent a little more time on it, but still like definitely not spending a huge amount of time on, on my machine setup because I just, it, it, it actually, I think it realized, I realized it didn't actually make me that much more productive. Yeah. I mean, searching for efficiencies is like a natural thing that, you know, people who write computer programs for a living tend to get into, right? And that's, I mean, and that's kind of an obvious thing. Like you can see that there are affinities between how they solve problems in one domain and they try to sort of use similar techniques to solve a problem in that are in the domain of making their typing programs more efficient or doing the automating everyday tasks, right? It is difficult to measure, I think, the impact that those things have. Obviously, if it, if there's ergonomics involved or you're trying to make, you're trying to set yourself up so that you don't get RSI or you're not in pain when you're typing, that's like a totally different that 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 is uh i think that's an interesting thing like there's accessibility components to it uh that you should be sensitive to right some people have to change their configuration because they you know might not be able to you know use a standard configuration for one reason or another but it is hard it does become hard to maintain it's like this own your environment is this own whole other thing to maintain and i can't i just have a hard time getting past that so i have a hard time putting energy into it what about you? What's uh, what, what? Is there anything you've tried and not been into, or 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 something you used to do that you don't do anymore? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I can't believe I still have to say this, but I'm just so tired of arguing and these flame wars around JavaScript frameworks. I was very early on in the JavaScript framework world, I would say. In that at that time it was really a wild west frontier of like really trying to make tools that people could use that would literally like open up new ideas and new ways of programming for the web and structuring your applications. And as we were kind of moving into this world where JavaScript was the dominant language for front end web applications and that we were moving towards the front end, it became clear that, yeah, we needed some tools to make that a little easier. But at this point, um, the amount of time people spend obsessing and agonizing over what tool to use on the front end or what set of tools or what stack is, it's just, it's just a waste of time. I have to say, like, I don't, I think that everyone who's working on these frameworks and doing this type of stuff is doing great work. And there's a ton of, ton of great ideas out there and great applications to build on top of these. But that's, that's the problem for me is that people spend so much time worrying about how they're going to build things. They worry so little time about what they're actually building. And I hear so little conversation about the things that we build and the reason that we do this stuff in the first place, which is to like make something awesome and share it. And there's so little conversation about that in the tech world and in, in these communities, the conversation is always about how we do it. And I think that relates to your point too, of like, as programmers, obviously we're, our, our brains work in a way, I would say, where we're concerned about the efficiency and the ease of which we do things because we want to optimize our path to finishing a project or getting something done. But the amount of time people spend just on the how seems disproportionate to the amount of time people spend on the what and the what what their goal is to act, actually achieve this. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is that that's the stuff that's easy to kind of bullshit about on the internet, right? So like the the results are harder to produce. Sometimes you can't produce the results, right? So there's a whole, the social component is, you know, we both know people that are involved in a bunch of the different frameworks that are going right now. And I think, like you said, like the implementers tend to be directly tied to some application that uses the tool to make money in one way or another right so and and that's a very good thing and they are tend they do tend to be very open about how they use things and why they're doing things and that's really cool and then for some reason because it's easier to say i like this i don't like that this is better than that x is better than y you know the reductionist nature of internet communication is such that you know, that's what is the loudest and it can be exhausting. And that's kind of a bummer is that it's, it is a disservice to the people that actually spend a lot of time trying to figure out how people can efficiently solve hard problems that they have. And, you know, front end programming is a really challenging problem, right? Like you were working on it. That was 10 years ago, right? Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, eight, like seven years eight, ago. Seven yeah. years ago, whatever, right? It, it's very easy to get frustrated with that discourse and it's harder to talk about what are those problems you're trying to solve, what is the business application to it, what is the practical use of it, and, and you know, this is why I think that this is the right way to do things if you're solving problem X, right? Like to relate it to the Go conversation, if you're trying to solve this kind of problem, here's a good way to solve it. It's, a, it, it's hard to come up with that, you know? But I totally agree. It's the it, it can get really loud and really uncomfortable and people end up getting hurt because it's it's hard to be, you know, it's empathy is an empathy ain't easy, <laughs> right? Empathy is a empathy is a skill, you know, you gotta you have to like practice. It's not it's not easy. So uh and, and people should try harder to do that because there are people that are involved in all of these projects, right? Like open source is people for sure. We've both been burnt out on it here and there. Uh, and, and that's mostly why that is. What uh, What's some tools in the kitchen that you think are underrated or overrated? Sorry. Overrated. Overrated tools in the kitchen. Uh, fancy ranges? No. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I know the transformative experience of using a fancy range. I've, I've, I've had that experience. So I know. You know, what's out, what's out this year in kitchen tools is like just having a bunch of fancy shit right? Like I, I, I really like, um, you know, I've seen a couple people, like I think Bitman did one, Ruhlman did one, you know, here are like the 10 things that you need to like be a really good cook and make awesome food for yourself and your family and friends, right? Um, a couple sharp knives, a good cutting board, a scale, um, you know, sheet pans, yeah, pans, focusing on tools over ingredients is another thing that's really frustrating, right? Like have really fancy pans and then just like you have your stale ass olive oil and your old spices and you know, you're, you're, you're not focusing on buying less that can be higher quality and using that and not you know, thinking about it all the way through, right? Like there's a follow through component to that. That's really important. One of the things that always struck me about those articles and got me excited and definitely motivated to do things was that you can go, especially in New York, but really any town, even Kingston has one to one of these kitchen supply stores. And most of them are open to the public and not just for restaurants. And you can go and you can literally spend like $85 and get 
better tools and better longer lasting equipment than you could at Sur La Table or one of these fancy stores for so much less money. Yeah, I love kitchen supply stores. Uh, that's another thing that, you know, we, we were spoiled definitely having having such easy access to so many of those stores uh, in New York for so long. If you're ever in if you're ever in a big city and have never seen a proper restaurant supply store, I highly suggest you check it out. Go get a chef's knife, go get a stainless pan for a fraction of the cost that you would spend at a chain store for similar things. Uh, and they can last you a really long time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in selling kitchen equipment. So these, uh, there's a lot of aggressive marketing that goes on around, you know, brands and, you know, chefs and all these things. And the reality is, you know, what, what's awesome about cooking is making delicious food for, you know, yourself and other people. So, you know, st- stay focused on that. And it's easy for everyone to kind of get caught up in what's fancy and what's new and wanting to try impressive things. It's cool when you can like sit back and say, Hey, you know, I can make really something awesome with just like what I have laying around or something that I can put together for pretty cheap if I wanted to. Yeah. And those are often the best meals for sure. So I think we're out of time. Yep. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been episode four of Beats, Rye and Types. If you haven't checked out our towering archive of three episodes <laughs> preceding this check them out and let us know what you think shout us out on twitter at beats ride types and we'll see you around thanks peace 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 peace